0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. Well, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. We've got ourselves a London Packers game. That's, uh, that's, that's cool. A um, couple things I want to get done today. I'm trying to think where to start here. I know, you should figure these things out. You know, I get up, I get my coffee, I come downstairs, push record, start talking, and hope that it, you know, it's the whole Michael Scott thing. You just talk and hope that something comes to you. Let's start with this. I know you probably don't want to hear it, but we're going to start with this. This is the reason why, rather than going to your television and turning on Good Morning Football, you come listen to the Packernet podcast, because this is the level of stupidity in terms of actual analysis. This is what's considered analysis of the Packers-Giants game. Ready? Matt LaFleur goes up against Wink Martindale. You're saying, okay, Peter, you're going to the, the head coach. That's good, buddy. <laughs> you what got it. You do? 2018, the Ravens, which defense was coached by Wink Martindale, you faced done? up against Tennessee Titans, whose offense was run by Matt LaFleur. They sacked Tannehill 10 times and the Titans had 120 yards. Wink. 10? Yeah, 10 times. Wink oh absolutely destroyed a LaFleur offense. Sent the dogs and it wasn't ready or capable of stopping what was at its, its mercy here. I, I think that is real when a defensive coordinator is like, oh, I'm going up against Matt LaFleur. I own that dude. I'm uh, curious to see if the Giants send the dogs and you. if we get a different version of this game than everyone expects. I think everyone expects the Packers in a walk. Maybe it is. Uh, Wink Martindale sending the boys at Rodgers, and if those receivers aren't ready to turn around at the right time, mm-hmm. Rodgers is getting, mm-hmm. getting hit hard in London. So, mm-hmm. I, I... Oh, boy. Um, in 2018, the Baltimore Ravens played the Titans. Wink Martindale was the defensive coordinator, and Matt LaFleur was the offensive coordinator. Not the head coach, the offensive coordinator. And there were 10 sacks in that game. And his thing is, Wink Martindale is thinking I owned that dude because you know I beat him once that one time, I and mean, I didn't beat him. But you know the Baltimore Ravens defense, which by the way they're showing clips of, you know Zadarius Smith, Terrell Suggs. That that was on the defense that had Zadarius Smith as like a backup rotational guy. I mean, there's so so many things wrong with this. You, you could start with the fact that we've played Wink Martindale since then not 2018 with the with a completely different team and a completely different role with a completely different pile of players. If you wanted to compare how this is going to go with a Matt LaFleur offense on Matt LaFleur's team with Matt LaFleur's players, why don't you just go back maybe not quite as far? Do you know what the Wink Martindale defense did to the Green Bay Packers? Oh, I don't know, uh, how many years ago was that? Oh, last year. It was less than a year ago. It was December 19th of last year. You know what the defense did? They gave up 31 points to the Packers. Aaron Rodgers was 23 of 31 for 268 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and he was sacked three times, not 10 times. Yeah, well, you had Devontae Adams back then. It's a different story. Okay, Mark and Martindale's on a different team, number one. Second of all, Devontae Adams had 44 yards and a touchdown in that game. MVS had 98 and a touchdown, which is interesting if you think about it. I know they're different defenses, but if we assume... It's the same style of defense. Remember what I said about they're playing man coverage, and and at some point against against man, you're going to have to threaten them. You're going to have to beat them with a guy like MVS, or uh, let's see, who would be the version of like an MVS on the team now? I can't really think of what who that would be. Oh, maybe Christian Watson? I don't know. Anyways, MVS was the uh, was the guy that really took over this game. Seven targets, five receptions, 98 yards, and a touchdown. But you know what's funny about that whole clip? You actually have to do a lot of homework to go back and find that. How do you dig so deep that you find that and miss this? I don't know how you do that. That's like if you're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you want to drive down to Kenosha to get some Kringle, and you're like, all right, look what I found. I got some really good grits down in New Orleans. <laughs> what? I thought you were going to Kenosha. What, what are you doing, bud? I think you might have overshot it a bit. Do you see the ocean? That's not like Michigan. That's the ocean. That is the Gulf of Mexico. So yeah, there's a more recent example. It completely diminishes anything that you are talking about. And again, two different teams with different groups of players. Not to mention, PFF ranked them as the sixth best defense in football. You know what the Giants' defensive rank via PFF is? 26th. Kind of a different crew, maybe a little bit. I mean, they, remember how we just played Matthew Judon, and I was like, man, he's underrated? Zadarius Smith, Terrell Suggs, Matt Judon, Michael Pierce. That was when he was at his best, 91 overall grade. C.J. Mosley at linebacker, Marlon Humphrey, Eric Weddle. That was such a good defense. this is... <laughs> Who had better defensive tackles? Baltimore. Who had better pass rushers? Baltimore. Who had better linebackers? Baltimore. Who had better corners? Baltimore. Who had better safeties? Baltimore. Shut up. Wink Martindale's got his number. (laughs) Hey, did you guys, did you guys know? In 2012, the Baltimore Ravens played the Washington Redskins. Did you know that? Why does that matter? Are you serious? 2012, Wink Martindale, inside linebacker coach for the Baltimore Ravens. 2012, Washington Redskins, quarterbacks coach. Hello, Matt LaFleur. Ever heard of him? The Redskins and RG3, as long as, you know, obviously because Matt LaFleur is a quarterback coach, beat the Baltimore Ravens 31-28. So Matt LaFleur's quarterback beat the Ravens linebackers and burn. Science. By the way, Washington, 7-6 and six that year, Baltimore 9-4. and four, So Washington wasn't even as good of a team. Doesn't matter, though, because Matt LaFleur has Wink Martindale's number. Do you know that? So anyways, why don't we take some time and focus on some things that actually matter. Let's look at 2022, the 2022 Matt LaFleur Green Bay Packers going up against the 2022 Brian Day Bowl New York Giants. Okay, I want to look at a couple things here. Um, we haven't spent a lot of time looking at uh, SIS, which is a different resource uh, that you guys helped me to get very expensive i could not have afforded it by myself but thanks to your help we got it so i have been using it behind the scenes but i want to try to bring it to the forefront and take a look at a couple of things now they've got some different ways of looking at things and uh doing things it's it's you know i've always said that there's sort of that sliding scale between sort of statistics and i guess we'll say statistics and grades and what the scale really is is hard stats and then on the other end of the scale, you are trying to interpret stats. And the more information you put into a, a pile and try to turn it into something and, you know, the more we're kind of getting into making things up and the less real it becomes. Probably more useful, but less trustworthy, I guess would be the way to put it. Uh, SAS is more on the hard data side. Uh, unfortunately, they come up t- with different data than PFF does. So there's different SAC numbers, different pressure numbers, different pressure rates, different... So that's that's a little bit annoying. But even some of their advanced things are pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot of interpreting going on. There's not a grading scale. Uh, it's, it's, you know, points earned, points above average, expected points. And these are just... These are calculations based on data. It's not anything they're interpreting something happens and there's a result. I mean, in fact, they can just pull this. For, they probably do. They pull the information from somewhere else. So I, I think the hardest part for all of this with PFF and SIS and and even football outsiders and everything is trying to understand what it means. Because I think too often we try to take every single metric and say, this means you're the best. Whether that's your PFF grade, whether that's, you know, I saw um, some of the Bears guys looking at Tevin Jenkins' points earned per player, whatever, saying that makes him the best. Maybe it does. I mean. It, the the point is, though, you need to try to use the tools to answer a question. And I think if you're trying to a- ask the question vaguely, who's the best player, you need to be more specific. What does it mean to be the best player? For example, a lot of people are saying Saquon Barkley is the best running back in football. Well, he is based on production. Usually for me, I care about per play stats because I want to know how good you are when you have the ball, how much good are you going to do every time you touch the ball? But there's there's some validity to overall, how much good have you done for your team? Cumulative also matters. It doesn't maybe take as much skill because you've had more more attempts to get to that point, but you've still done it. You know, if, if somebody gets a million dollars to build a car and somebody gets, you know, $100,000 to build a car and the guy with a million dollars builds a better car, it might be fair to say, yeah, well, the more talented car builder would be the other guy cuz on a per dollar basis the other car is better but maybe you just want to know at the end of the day who has a better who made a better car it depends specifically what the question is anyways anyways first of all let's take a look at Mr. Aaron Rodgers the catchable pass percentage has dropped thanks to last week kind of getting a, a rough go of it however on target percentage is still quite high he ranks 4th in the NFL Trevor Lawrence Josh Allen and Daniel Jones are the only quarterbacks that are higher so when you're, when your catchable passes are low, but your on-target passes are high, it, it tells me that most of the the vast majority of the passes you throw are not only catchable but way on target. The problem is, disproportionately, when you miss, you just completely miss. It's not like a little bit off, it's just, what the heck was that? Now he's not terrible in that metric. He's, he ranks 10th, uh, so it's, it's still. Great. It's just not as high as it was. Looking at expected points and all that stuff, which again, quick refresher: uh, there's there's no matter what area of the field you're on, there's there's an expectation of how many points you're going to score from, let's just say, a betting standpoint or a mathematical standpoint. If it's first and ten from your own twenty-five yard line, you're expected to score zero point eight eight points. If you throw an incomplete pass, it is now second and ten from that same spot. Now you're expected like zero point two points. So you lost. Point, so it's negative point 0.6 or something. Anyways, you put that together into a couple different metrics and they have what's called points above replacement. So how many points are you getting above the average quarterback? Uh, Aaron Rodgers is not doing very well in that metric. He is currently ranked 14th. And again, it, it's not this is not subjective. This is not this, this is just numbers and math. It just is what it is. It's still a positive Par. But again, remember what we're we're saying is on a down-to-down basis, when Aaron Rodgers throws the ball, how positive of a result, how much closer towards scoring do we get? That's what's being answered with this question. We rank 14th. So the the pretty obvious situation here is that Rodgers is very boom and bust, and they actually have a boom and bust metric. This is, um, you know, how many times do you have a very good play, which is a play in which you add a point and then a negative one would be a bust. Aaron Rodgers ranks eighth in boom percentage, and he ranks eighth in bust percentage. So again, this is all just kind of pointing to what we already know, and that is there's way too many bad plays, especially when you're adding pick sixes into the mix. And I'm sure when you have a pick six, that's really going you know, to hit you pretty hard in this metric, these metrics. But all this stuff, he's, he's thrown too many interceptions. You got a pick six mixed in. Wild errant throws and stuff. I mean, all this stuff is culminating into too many, not just inaccurate or or unfortunate plays, but really bad plays. 20.3% of his passes right now are considered bust passes, which are very negative plays. So in a lot of these metrics, he's playing really high, better than he has in the past. But we got to get the really bad stuff figured out. Looking at rushing, this is when things get really exciting because again as i've said we know aaron jones is good i think we're underselling how good he is this year and it's kind of unfortunate because he's always been underrated he's never really been talked about despite always being a very quality running back this year he's arguably the best running back in all of football and it's still kind of like yeah he's 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 good so again just looking at some of the the basics here for mr aaron jones and this is this is the other thing that's a little bit annoying about this, because again, Saquon, and, and I'm not trying to knock Saquon, he's, he's maybe the best in, in football right now, he's one of the best, he's top, but Aaron Jones is as good, if not better, than Saquon so far this year. Remember, Aaron Jones has much fewer attempts, just compared to, let me read off how many attempts the guys above him in this metric have, 84, 81, 72, 58, 70, 81, Aaron Jones 48. Attempts on the year. Saquon, by the way, number one in yards, 84 attempts compared to Aaron Jones, 48. But even with having so few attempts, in fact, you have to go all the way down. He's got, what, 48 attempts? You got to go all the way down to DeAndre Swift with 27 attempts, which is ranked 18th in the NFL, before you find a guy with less attempts than him. He is third in broken tackles with 12. Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb are the only ones with more. Again, this is not per attempt. Derrick Henry, with 76 attempts compared to Aaron Jones' 48, has 11 broken tackles compared to Aaron Jones' 12. Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb with 70 and 81 attempts are the only ones with two more, and that's it. That's just broken tackles. That's not missed tackles, which is a, they have a separate uh, metric for missed tackles here. That's not necessarily a benefit to the running back. That's just this guy sucks. There's only been four missed tackles, which is really low. When Aaron Jones doesn't get tackled, it's because he broke tackles. First downs, he's third, tied with Jonathan Taylor, who has, again, almost double as many attempts. Cordero Patterson has 19, he has 10 more attempts. Nick Chubb, with his, I don't know, what, 30 more attempts, has 21 first downs. But then you can look at rates, which is what I like on the per attempt stuff. Yards per attempt, Aaron Jones, number one at 6.8. Khalil Herbert is number two at 6.1. Rashad Penny, six. Cordero Patterson, 5.9. Then Nick Chubb, then Saquon down at 5.5. And 5.5, by the way, fantastic. Aaron Jones is seventh in yards per game. Per game. He didn't even run that much. How about yards after contact per attempt? He's number one at 4.8. Rashad Penny, 4.3. Saquon, 4.2. How about what percentage of the time do you break a tackle, broken tackles plus missed tackles per attempt? Aaron Jones is number one, 33.3% of the time. Then Josh Jacobs, then Nick Chubb, then David Montgomery, then Dalvin Cook, then Michael Carter, then Javante Williams. I'm trying to find Saquon. He's down here at 11th. Aaron Jones is at the top of about all these lists here. First down percentage. You want to take a wild guess who's number one in first down percentage? Aaron Jones, 37.5% of his carries result in the first down. Cordero Patterson is number two at 32.8%. It's not even really close. Don't worry, A.J. Dillon's on this list too. He's one of the highest in being hit at the line of scrimmage. (laughs) That's not a knock on A.J. Dillon. That's, you know, he's got some tough sledding. You know what's funny though? Stuff percentage. How many plays go for zero yards or less? Aaron Jones ranks fourth, as in fourth least at 10.4, A.J. Dillon 10.5. Both of these guys have such an incredible job. If you look at the three that are higher or less times they're stuffed, Ezekiel Elliott, Damian Harris, and Daryl Henderson, they're hit at the line of scrimmage 37, 22, and 29% of the time. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are both in the 40s. 40% of the time, they're hit at the line of scrimmage, but only 10.4% and 10.5% for Dillon do they get stuffed. Why? Because they don't get brought down at the line of scrimmage, despite the fact that about half the time they're hit at the line of scrimmage. And then, as I said, Aaron Jones follows his design gap 75% of the time, A.J. Dillon 42% of the time. That was my big gripe was... not following your blockers. AJ, Aaron Jones is the sixth highest in terms of following his blockers. A.J. Dillon is literally the lowest in the entire NFL at 42.1% of the time. It's annoying to me, but whatever. Not talking about that today. And then there's overall value for running backs. Points earned. Cumulative metric. Aaron Jones is still number two, despite being a cumulative metric. How about points earned per play? It's a little harder to do this. One of the flaws in the whole points earned thing, which is, is exactly what I just explained to you in terms of how you get that number. But the question is, when when he runs for 10 yards, how much is, his, is, is, is to his credit compared to the offensive line and all that kind of stuff? But still, when Aaron Jones touches the ball on a per-play basis, we go up 0.328 points. He's number one in the NFL. Second is 0.248. The gap between first and second place in terms of how beneficial Aaron Jones has been to this team compared to every running back to their team, it's not even close. It's not even close. In fact, there's only four running backs that have a PE, points earned per play, at a at a .2 or above. He's at .38. He's the only one at .3 anything. Points above average per play, Aaron Jones, number one. Only two are at 0.2 or higher. He's at 0.295. Nick Chubb, 0.218. And then Josh Jacobs, it drops down to 0.183. Same with EPA per play. Points added every single time you touch the ball, 0.23. He's tied for number one with Rashad Penny. But think about what that means on average. If he touches the ball four times, we gain about a point. Every four times he touches the ball. Positive play percentage, he ranks fourth. In terms of par, P-A-R, points above replacement, Aaron Jones is second behind only Nick Chubb. Again, it's a cumulative stat. Nick Chubb carries the ball 81 times compared to Aaron Jones. Boom percentage, how many times, what percentage of the time when he touches the ball? does, does Is it a very good play? Aaron Jones is number two behind only Rashad Penny. Bust percentage, um, he is eighth, eighth best. Aaron Jones is sixth best. They don't make a lot of mistakes, and that includes Aaron Jones's fumble which is remarkable, considering he has a fumble mixed in there. So, again, this is not to knock Aaron Jones. This is to say that, or excuse me, A.J. Dillon, this is to say Aaron Jones is on another level, even for Aaron Jones. Even acknowledging Aaron Jones has been very good for a long time and underrated and all that stuff. You know what's crazy? I can select on here first contact uh, yards. when Aaron when, when a running back is contacted, at zero yards or less. So, you know, minus three yards, minus one, zero yards, whatever. What is Aaron Jones's yards per attempt when he's hit at the line of scrimmage? Four yards per attempt. Third in the NFL. (laughs) That's just crazy. But that's not all. I want to talk about a couple other things. Wide receiver. I know we're all excited about the rookies, and for good reason, and there's every reason to believe that Dobbs is going to overtake and take the number one job and he's going to, do, fine. But I, I want to highlight a couple guys that are doing some stuff that are probably being overlooked because we have Romeo Dobbs on the team. First of all, um, well, we should acknowledge Romeo Dobbs as far as his yards after the catch. He is now 10th in the NFL, just cumulative, not per reception or anything. Cumulatively, he is 10th in yards after the catch with 126 yards. On-target catch percentage. How many times when they throw you a good ball are you catching it? 24 wide receivers are at 100%. Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb are both on that list. They've caught every single ball that was thrown to them. Yards per target. Randall Cobb, believe it or not, is third in the NFL. First down percentage. Randall Cobb is 12th. Alan Lazard, number one. 91.7% of his catches have gone for first downs. Passer rating. When targeted. Alan Lazard is 14th in the NFL with a 118.3. Romeo Dobbs is 10th with a 126.4. Broken tackles plus missed tackles per reception. Randall Cobb is 6th in the NFL. Now, keep this in the full context of everybody still saying, well, we still don't really have any good wide receivers. We don't? I'm not saying everything's perfect, but to pretend like these guys can't play football is a little weird. Points earned per route... Now we're getting into the metrics of of who are the best wide receivers. Alan Lazard is 8th in the NFL. 0.084 every single time that guy runs a route. Points above average per route, Alan Lazard ranks 6th. Expected points added per target, Randall Cobb ranks 4th in the NFL. Positive play percentage, Alan Lazard is the 5th highest. Randall Cobb is the second highest, 70.6% for Alan Lazard, 83.3% for Randall Cobb. If you look at points above replacement, Alan Lazard ranks 11th. Boom percentage, again, what percentage of the time does a play result in a really big play? Randall Cobb ranks fourth in the NFL, Alan Lazard is second. Mike Evans is sandwiched in between them. And if you're looking for Christian Watson, lowest bust percentage, believe it or not, Christian Watson. <laughs> Actually, he's tied for the lowest. So again, the the unit as a whole with the three, the the very clear top three wide receivers with Alan Lazard, Romeo Dobbs, and Randall Cobb are a really good mix. And I'm the most excited about Romeo like a lot of other people are, but let's not underestimate the fact that Alan Lazard is in his limited time playing at a very high level, Randall Cobb playing at a very high level, talking about better than usual. And th- this, this is the other thing that's, that's interesting about this whole situation. Randall Cobb is, or Aaron Rodgers has made more mistakes, but depending on the metrics that you're looking at, is playing at a higher level than he has in recent history. Aaron Jones is very clearly playing at a higher level than I think he ever has. Alan Lazard is potentially playing at his highest level ever. Randall Cobb is playing at his highest level since whenever it was, he was a good Green Bay Packer. On the other side of the ball, you've got, you know, Kenny Clark, Rashawn, a couple other guys that are doing some stuff. I want to look at the offensive line real quick before we uh, before we take a break because it's I keep feeling like it's a lot later than it is. Now, bear in mind, David Bakhtiari has not played a ton. Um, however... He's played a decent amount, 102 snaps already. He is one of only 14 offensive linemen in the entire NFL without a blown block. Again, I know he hasn't played a ton. All right, I get that. But what we're going to discover as we go through this is, according to SIS and their evaluation of things, David Bakhtiari is still a premier tackle in the NFL. If you're specifically looking at pass blocking as far as blown blocks, Zero for David Bakhtiari, obviously, because he has zero overall. John Runyon, also zero. Run blocking, we got three guys. David Bakhtiari, Yash Nyman, and Mercedes Lewis. Zero blown blocks run blocking. Quickly running through some of these metrics here. Points earned per snap. They have David Bakhtiari, fourth best. They have Yash Nyman, 14th. On the negative side of this, and I'm I'm not going to Delve too much into the negative, but Elton Jenkins is regarded as probably our worst offensive lineman right now, just kind of across the board. And actually, I've only really got one other thing to look at. So why don't we do this before we take a break? Flip into the defensive side, looking specifically at pass rush. Again, we've gone over a lot of this when it comes to uh, PFF, but it, remember SIS has different calculations or whatever. But quickly going through it, I want to highlight Mr. Rashan Gary. Currently, one sack behind the lead, tied with Khalil Mack and Alex Highsmith of the Steelers with five sacks. Nick Bosa is sitting by himself with one sack. You want to play a fun game, though? It's called How Many Sacks Do You Have That You Actually Earned. It's where you take the sacks that you have and you subtract how many of those were unblocked. If that's the case, Nick Bosa drops from six down to four. Khalil Mack goes from five down to four, meaning Rashawn Gary and Alex Highsmith are alone at five, although Alex Highsmith also has. An assisted sack? So he's like five and a half, I guess we call it six. Whatever. Rashawn Gary, all five of his were earned sacks. That's a term that I made up. Zero unblocked sacks. How How do you have two unblocked sacks for Nick Bosa, by the way? How does that happen? Who are the idiots? It was the Bears, wasn't it? It had to be the Bears. Overall, in terms of pressures, they have Rashawn Gary eighth with 15 pressures. It's actually pretty close. PFF has them at 16. That's closer than I would have expected. Some of these are way off, but Rashawn, they're they're pretty much in agreement. But the real interesting thing here, and you may have seen me put this on Twitter already, um, Rashawn Gary is number one in sack percentage in the NFL. 5.8%. There are defensive tackles in the NFL, probably some edge rushers too, that don't even have pressure rates at 5.8%. We're talking like once every 25 rushes, Rashawn Gary's getting a sack. On top of all that, we've already heard um, that the Packers don't actually blitz a lot. They don't bring a lot of extra pressure. If you just look at three, four, and five-man fronts, Highsmith and some of the other guys that are around Rashawn Gary fall. Rashawn Gary's still at five sacks. Some of these other guys are getting schemed open with with multiple rushers and everything else. So again, I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen with this Packers-Giants game. But I do know what should happen. I do know the full potential of the team. They just have to get that consistency down. And and you know, again, I forget who who the heck was that? Dan Orlovsky, was that who it was? He said his expectation was that this offense would be better than it was last year by the end of the year. As clickbaity as that might have been, as far as his, his reasoning for doing that, I do think the signs are pointing toward that. They do need to cut back on the mistakes and they do need to be more consistent. But in terms of what we're actually seeing, as underwhelming as the games have been, underlying all of that, again, Rodgers better than last year, Lazard better than last year, Randall Cobb better than last year, Dobbs wasn't even here, Aaron Jones better than last year. Not to mention our offensive line is back. We need Elton to kind of kick it back into gear here. So look, it's, it's straightforward. The Packers are favored to win by eight. That's what they need to do. It's, it's that simple. They are that good. They are, they are the team that should be putting away the Giants by eight. Last week, the, the point spread was the highest in favor of the Packers uh, among, uh, above every other team. They didn't hit it. This week, third highest. Higher than Kansas City against Las Vegas. Higher than Philly against Arizona. Higher than the Rams against Dallas. San Francisco against Carolina. Even higher than the, the Vikings beating the Bears. You just got to do it. We'll take a break. Please consider supporting the show, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore Dede. Um, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry is the charity that we will be supporting this year. Please consider heading over to FertileGroundRanch.org. You can find links to donate at the top of my Twitter page, as well as the top of the and a Podcast Facebook group. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. about seeing what you could potentially get right now you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com club.com slash pack Wow. That's crazy offer 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com club.com slash pack for 10% off your first purchase. All right. So usually on Sundays, I spend a lot of time going over a lot of games. I'm not going to do that. Um, because it's a lot of work and I don't enjoy it. And I can't imagine you do that much either, especially since I've been wrong so much. If I was right a lot, then I'd be like, all right, let's do this. Let's let's, let's win the boys some money. But I, I haven't been great. Um, I want to spend more time looking specifically at the betting lines for Packers-Giants in terms of let's come up with a score that makes sense. As I mentioned, the Green Bay Packers eight-point favorites over-unders being set at 41 and a half. So Vegas sees this game as roughly roughly a 25 to 17 game, right? That would put it at about 42 and um, an eight-point win for the Packers. I think that from, at first glance, from the Packers standpoint, that that point total of about 25 points makes a lot of sense. The Packers have scored two games at 27 points. Both of those games were at home, so that would be A slight disadvantage considering this is on the road. However, one was against the New England Patriots. It was also overtime. The other two were lower scoring at 14 and 17, but you had the week one debacle and then you had Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay. So it seems to me they view the 27 as being more real, especially when you factor in the the New York Giants defense as opposed to some of the other defenses we've gone up against. I know when you look at point totals and everything, you say, well, the Giants' defense is actually quite good. If you look at their DVOA, which kind of takes into account, okay, but what have you actually done against quality opponents and whatnot? Um, they rank 23rd overall. For reference, they have Chicago 15th, New England 19th. The only defense that's worse is Minnesota, which is feels so backwards. <laughs> it seems like it should be like Minnesota, New England, Chicago. It's the other way around. But So this is the worst defense we've faced since week one against Minnesota, which again, Somewhat of an offensive implosion, don't have some of our players there, don't have the rookies kind of doing anything, don't have Bakhtiari, don't have Jenkins. So there's a couple different ways of trying to come to different conclusions as far as what the Packers and Giants are going to do in this game. The the first thing I would do in terms of finding a score total is not nearly as exciting as anybody wants it to be. But again, if you're using recent history, there's, there's not a lot there to suggest that the Packers are going to blow the doors off. But that's kind of the point, right? That's where a lot of the stats and everything else will tell you that that won't happen. But what we're hoping for is that there is improvement, change, right? Based on what we've seen so far, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's barely a playoff team. But let's start there anyways. One of the easiest ways for me to come up with a general score prediction is to look at the teams that we've gone up against. The Vikings, the Bears, the Bucks, the Patriots. And rather than looking at what we did, for example, we scored 23 against the Vikings and drawing some kind of conclusion, what I like to know is, what did we do compared to what they usually allow? Now, it's still early in the season and all that stuff, but it, we're using the information we have. The Vikings, I think I said that wrong, what, they scored 23, right? For the season, they're scoring an average of 21 points, not including our game, right? Because I want to know what they're doing without using our points to kind of skew that. So they're scoring 21 points per game. They scored 23 against us. That is to say that our defense was subpar by two points. Anyways, I'm not going to go through all the different ones, but if you take all four, look at what their offenses were able to do against our defenses compared to what their offenses have done to everybody else, do the same thing for defense, what their defenses were able to do, um, stopping our offenses, et cetera, et cetera. I come to a score, and I forgot if I had ruled out week one or not, but. I think even if you rule out week one and call that an anomaly and just use the three weeks, the score still comes to Packers win 20 to 16. And so you say, all right, well, what if we try this? We're scoring 18.75 points per game. The Giants are 8.2% worse than your average defense. If you factor that in, you know what it brings us to? 20.2 points. (laughs) So everything's pointing to the Packers sitting at 20 points. If you do the same thing for the Giants, it puts them at about 20 also be about 19 to 20. What if we do it the other way, though? What if we look at our offense, which is 13.3% better than your average offense, and we apply that to what the Giants have given up? You know what that puts us at? 20.1 points. (laughs) I can't get away from 20, man. I can't do it. Here's something else to consider. We've never been to London, obviously, but the closest thing we have been, let's just call it the East Coast. We're supposed to win by eight points, right? Do you know how many times... Since Matt LaFleur has been our head coach, that we've actually covered the spread while being on the East Coast out of ten times, once. Played the Giants in New York. The spread was six and a half. We beat them 31-13. So I'm I'm really trying. I really am. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to see it. The only you, you gotta get away from the numbers and the stats because there, there's nothing here. The Packers are significantly worse when they're they're traveling compared to when they're at home, obviously. One of the best home field advantage teams in all of football. Statistically, almost all of our losses have been on the road in the last several years. So again, th- th- this, is, this is the situation. From what we've seen so far, if the team doesn't improve, I think this is a close game. And I'm, I'm going to stick with, what should we call it, 15 to 20? That's just a lot of field goals, isn't it? S- 16? How do you even get to 16? Safety? Safety? 17 to 20 would make more sense, two touchdowns and a field goal, but something like that. And I know there's a lot of Packer fans who are thinking, well, you're, you're, you're being pessimistic. Let me tell you something. If I wasn't a Packer fan, I'd be way more harsh than I am right now. I'm trying desperately to find any way to get the Packers to beat this team by eight points. It's not here. And I'm going to say the same thing I said about New England. And I'm going to be talking to myself because after New England, I was pretty upset even though I said it was going to happen. I think the eight point spread is, is somewhat to our disadvantage. Because it's it's a way of setting it up so that we say that the Packers should be this much significantly better than the, than the Giants are. And I don't really see a whole lot of information that points to that. And so what we're going to have, if, if, if it is a close game like that, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, that's not good enough, but we're going to have another situation where the Packers win and everyone's going to basically say, well, that doesn't even count because that was terrible. Should have been better than that. It's a win, but it's basically a loss. And so the, the bare minimum is eight points. You know, 20 to 28 is like, mm, all right, fine. But even, you know, again, you got Packer fans and everybody else saying this should this should be like a 15 to 35 route. Man, I don't know. I don't know. I know they got a lot of injuries, but I guess the biggest question is, are they going to get it turned over? Are they going to get the car turned over this week? Is it going to click? Is it all going to come together? We've seen it. We, we've seen them at their best where they move down the field with ease. It's not like they can't do it. They're just not where they need to be. And it's just hard to imagine that this week, boom. ready to rock and roll. But here's the thing. If it happens, it's not good finally. That's the wrong answer. That's the wrong reaction. It's not, well, good, that's what you're supposed to do. Wrong answer. Nobody's supposed to blow a team out in the NFL. That's not a thing that happens. Everybody starts at zero. And if your team happens to be the team that blows out another team 35 to 10, that should never be, well, good, that's what I expect. From everything I can tell, this should be a low-scoring close game. If it isn't, if the Packers win by a wide margin, that's a sign of growth, which is what we're looking for. So be happy. <laughs> I really hope I really hope it happens too. I, I, don't, I, I feel like I can't take another week of what happened in New England, where we win and everybody's just kind of pissed. But I'll say this, I'm glad it's an early game. Um, and, I, and I hope it's a good win, because then we just get to really kick back and enjoy the rest of the games. Do want to touch on them very, very briefly. Again, I'm not going to go through every single game. Uh, noon games, Buffalo, Pittsburgh. Obviously, I'd like to see Buffalo not do super well. It's just kind of the way I operate. I want the Packers to be the best team in football because that gives us the best chance of winning, et cetera, et cetera. So Pittsburgh kind of, I'm not going to say win, but if, you know, Buffalo wins like 23 to 20, that would be, that's a win in my book. Cleveland Chargers, couldn't care less. And then you got Chicago and Minnesota. Minnesota, seven and a half point favorites. Um... We definitely need Chicago to win. I know that's blasphemy, especially coming from me, the probably the biggest Bears hater you know, which is a new thing for me, but it's a thing. Um, I don't know. I'm, I am torn because if the Bears end up beating the Vikings, that kind of sucks from the standpoint of the Bears are starting to put some stuff together. But if they could just get it together for one week, just one week, unfortunately it's a noon game, so you don't have that whole Kirk Cousins not at noon thing, which I guess is a thing again. I... I mean, I, I guess it's win-win. If the Vikings spank the Bears, I'm just going to laugh. It's just going to be awesome because the Bears suck more and more every week. Every week, it's like, yeah, well, they're still learning. They're, they're still figuring it out, guys. It's going to be fine. Tevin Jenkins is... But I'm kind of hopeful that it's a low-scoring game. I actually hope, you know, because you know, Chicago's defense is fine. It's not elite, but I'm I'm hoping they're able to kind of do some stuff to to minimize the damage that the Vikings do. If, they, if, if the Vikings win, you know, 17 to 10, pff, give me that all day. Because then we could just kick back our feet, kick up our feet and say, you guys both suck so bad. But the Vikings are leading the division. And if we win, the Vikings win, the Vikings stay at the top of the division, which obviously sucks. They do have some slightly more difficult games coming up, but... Pretty much the same as, as the Packers. It's it's Miami, the Cardinals, Washington, and then Buffalo, right? It's it's winnable, 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 Buffalo. Um, You know, the Bears, similarly, winnable, winnable, I don't know, winnable across the board, I guess. It's not going to matter because they're going to lose to the Vikings, but I will, and I know this is wrong to say, I will be rooting for the Bears. The, the funny thing is, I always say I'm going to root for a team, and my, my son always gets mad because like, who are we rooting for? And I'll pick a team. And then I'll just end up rooting randomly for the other team. And he's like, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, I I forgot. I don't know. I guess I don't care. I just want them both to suck. It's like I'm I'm rooting for the Bears to win. And as soon as Justin Fields throws a pick six, I'm going to be jumping up and down celebrating. Like, yeah, you stupid douche. (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, shoot. Well, that's fine. I don't care. That's what makes the game enjoyable. Lions New England. Um, This is the ultimate test for the Lions, right? Supposedly. They have the most elite offense in the history of the universe. The Patriots don't really have the ability to rack up 40 points with Bailey Zappi. I just, I don't think they do. I mean, I know they can run the ball and all that. I just don't think they can do it. So this is, this is it. This is a great opportunity for the Lions to go to two and three. Push the gas pedal all the way down and get 38 points and you'll win. Here's what I think is going to happen. They won't be able to do it. The offense has been really, really impressive in terms of what they've been able to do. Even if you're just playing catch up, it's not automatic that you're gonna be able to do that. A lot of teams lose seven to thirty-five. It's not like if you're down by twenty, you're automatically just gonna get fifty points, right? That's not a thing. So yeah, they're 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 doing some stuff. But I don't think that's just who they are all the time. It's actually quite funny that Bailey Zappi and the Patriots are expected to beat the Lions, considering the Lions have a bad defense, but it's, you know, third string quarterback and whatnot. And then the Lions supposedly have this great offense and it's up against the Patriots. So why wouldn't the Lions be favorited? It's because it's all fake. That's why. They don't have the best offense in football. That's fake. The Patriots are going to slow that down significantly. You know, I don't know what they get, 24 points, something to that that effect. I don't know who wins, but the, the, the point is I'm not doing score predictions. This is a game where if the Lions are for real, they beat the Patriots flat out. Piece of cake. Number one offense, And you got a bad defense, but this is a terrible offense. This is this is a perfect matchup for you. And plus, plus they run the ball, and that's not going to be able to last because you're going to run up the score, and they're not going to be able to do that. So Bailey Zappi is going to have to do what he couldn't do or what he wasn't able to do against the Packers, or or didn't have to do, I guess would be the right way to put it against the Packers, which is we have to abandon the run and start throwing. If the Lions are for real, they need to blow out the Patriots. We'll find out. It's up to you. We'll see. Seattle and New Orleans. I don't get the Seattle thing. I, I can't really comment because I haven't watched Seattle, but I, I, just, I just don't buy it. We'll see. I mean, New Orleans sucks too, but New Orleans are five-point favorites, which again, you've got like one of the best quarterbacks in football right now is Geno Smith. I mean, if you, if you, just, if you just took away all the names and faces and just looked at stats and everything else and, and had, had some experts sort out who the leading candidates for MVP are, I'm pretty sure Geno would be in the conversation depending on how big the list is, and it might not even be, need to be a very big list. I'm sorry I don't buy it. There's a lot of weird stuff going on right now, a lot of things just kind of floating around. I don't think it stays that way. Saints have a very good defense. I have no idea what they got going on on offense, but I just, I can never believe in this in Seattle. They're, they're going to have to be 10 wins before I'm like, all right, I guess, I guess it's a thing. I don't know. As far as who we want to win, who cares? As long as one of these teams doesn't actually emerge as a contender, and the one I'm most scared of is, is the Saints. So if Seattle ends up winning, I guess I'm fine with it because if they go to one and four, it doesn't matter if they ever find a quarterback or whatever the situation is. They're, they're, they're basically out of it. And Seattle can just stick it because they suck. I don't care what their record is. I don't care what their quarterback's doing. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. They suck. That's all there is to it. And I can't be convinced otherwise. Not at this stage. Jets Miami, who cares? Um, I mean, I guess we kind of care. We do have the Jets the following week, along with Washington, Buffalo, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess we kind of care about that game, Jets Miami. Um, the Jets are kind of showing some stuff, a little bit. And I have no idea what's going on with Miami because of that situation. So I don't know. I, I, I just don't want the Jets to kind of like be a real thing. There's some people that are saying, you know, Zach Wilson at the the end of that last half of that last game, he was actually really looking quite competent. I don't know. But his grade is is a lot higher than it was. I mean, he's at like a 70 right now. He was like the worst quarterback in football last year. So he's stepping up. The offensive line is better. They got a running back. They've got some wide receivers. They have some defensive pieces. I've been saying this for a long time. They actually have a team. They just don't know how to put it together. But they're much better than than what everybody assumes just because it's you know it's the Jets and they suck. So unfortunately, it's going to be another week next week and me going, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know what to see. I don't know. So it'd be nice if Miami, with no quarterback, just, just stomps them out. That'd be great. Tampa Bay, Atlanta, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I want Tampa Bay to lose because it's Tom Brady and a team that actually scares me. But at that point, do I need to start being concerned about Atlanta? I don't know. But one step at a time, let's just hope that the 10-point favorite Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at the very least, I hope they suck. Same as like the Vikings and everything else. If you're going to win, fine. But last-minute comeback field goal would be uh, would be nice. Washington's another team we got coming up. Tennessee seems to be kind of turning a corner, although I don't necessarily know if I buy it. But, um, you know, just if Tennessee could just kick the daylights out of Washington so we don't have to worry about them, that'd be great. Houston, Jacksonville, very similar to Detroit. I don't know if I buy Jacksonville. Again, a lot of weird stuff. There's some things that are so unbelievable right now that I just don't know. Not necessarily even Trevor Lawrence, although I don't think Trevor Lawrence is the big reason why they're, they're winning as much as everybody might want to make it seem that way. He's doing fine, but he's, he's not like an elite quarterback right now. In fact, he's graded out worse than Zach Wilson is. But that's my point. If, if the Jaguars are really going to turn a corner, it's because Trevor Lawrence is becoming the guy that everybody thought he should be, and he's not. So yeah, you got a couple pass rushers and, and whatever, a couple things here and there. I don't know. I don't know that you're necessarily a powerhouse. It's a divisional game. I know Houston sucks, but would I bet Jacksonville to, to, for seven points? No. But do I care? Not really. Just kind of curiosity. San Francisco, Carolina. San Francisco suddenly is becoming the old San Francisco. If that could just stop right now, that'd be great. I don't expect Carolina to be that team. But again, I'm just rooting for San Francisco to suck a little bit. If Jimmy G can can just do stupid stuff and it's like, you know, they're just being held back by Jimmy Garoppolo, that would just make me happy. I doubt it because he's never really been that guy, but that would certainly make me happy. Dallas and L.A. Personally, I, I think this is this is one that I... Am, actually, mybookie.ag going to be betting in favor of, of the Rams? Maybe I'm wrong, but again, I just I just think this is, even though they're five-and-a-half-point favorites, I think there's too much hype for Dallas and some nobody quarterback. This And by the way, this happens all the time, whether it be Geno or Cooper Rush or who are those guys that were, who's the guy that uh, was a big deal in Jacksonville for a while, had the mullet and all that stuff? Oh, he was the greatest thing in the world. There was that guy, I think, in Washington, Heineke. He might have gone somewhere else, too. Oh, Heineke was just amazing. We don't even need it. We got Heineke, man. He's so good. And it happens for like two, three, four, five games, you know? Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys are kind of trash. And the Rams are still the Rams. I know Matt, Staff, oh, Matt Stafford's playing like, But that that's my point. Maybe this whole thing with the Rams not playing well continues forever. And it's just everything is just weird this year. Everything's upside down. But come on, man. Why? Why are the Cooper Rush Dallas Cowboys going to beat the LA Rams? The team that won the Super Bowl. What are they? What are they? Odell Beckham makes that big of a difference? Come on. But at the same time, I've been talking about get right games all year, and it hasn't, hello there, hasn't fully taken shape. But I, this is one I'm looking at going, let's just not be stupid, okay? I know Dallas has some stuff going on. But it's the defending Super Bowl champions against the Cooper Rush Dallas Cowboys. I just, I don't, I can't do it. Philly, Arizona. Um, I think Arizona right now sucks. I don't know that it stays that way. Um, but although I think Philly is due to kind of like come down to earth at some point, I'm probably going to stick with Philadelphia for at least another week. But I am curious. I And I wouldn't be shocked if Arizona beats Philadelphia. That's why I wouldn't really touch. Jalen Hurts, I think, is slightly overinflated. Kyler Murray, I think, is a little underinflated. I don't know that Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Kyler Murray is. I think that's sort of recency bias. Jalen Hurts was very mediocre last year, and right now he's playing with elite wide receivers and an elite offensive line and an elite run game and a really good defense. Kyler Murray is playing with like the worst defense in football zero offensive line, no run game at all ever, and maybe some wide receivers, I guess. I think. I don't even remember. Not going to look. It doesn't matter that much. But I think Kyler is just better. I think he's a better thrower. I think he's a, all that stuff. So maybe that just changed overnight, but I'd I'd go Eagles because the Cardinals seem like they're in trouble, but I would not be surprised if things kind of flip at some point. Cincinnati, Baltimore, don't really care. Curious because, again, it's like Baltimore started hot and then kind of slowing down. Cincinnati started terribly kind of figuring their stuff out. We'll, we'll see. Raiders, Chiefs, go Raiders. That's all I know. Um, and that's it. That's the whole thing. That's all the way through Monday. But again... Packers win, and uh, we don't have to worry about anything else. I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.